Uh, so anyway, we are just so excited that you're here today. We, we're, con- we're continuing our series on Unstoppable, and uh, today we're kind of wrapping all that up with Unstoppable Families is the idea, and we're going to talk today about the biblical um, principle, idea of a blessing. And uh, it's something that was, that was very paramount, especially in the Old Testament, and, we'll, and we're going to see that. And, and you know, when you watch a video like that, and uh, we're reminded of it, but it's something that we all know in our own hearts anyway, right, is that kids need their dads. I mean, do we really need to say how important dads are in our own lives or in the lives of kids? And unfortunately, we have a culture that very much minimizes the impact of, of fathers, and that's sad, and the, the even sadder thing is there's way too many men that are willing to comply with that low standard. And so we, kids need their dads, they need both parents, they need an intact home, all that kind of stuff. We're going to talk a little bit about that today, and uh, I, I want it to be an encouragement to you, I want to give a challenge as well. And as many of you probably heard before, there's a little quote out there, it says that having a child means that for the rest of your life, your heart is going to reside outside your body, <laughs> right? Anybody feeling that? Yeah, and I'm feeling especially, my son just graduated high school, I got one kid, and he just graduated high school, he's going to be off, this, off to college in the, in the fall, and so it's like in, instant empty nest for me, and so I've loved being a dad, I try to give him everything that, um, you know, that my parents gave me and more, and uh, lots of good memories from childhood, just different things that, that have gone on, and, and one, one in particular, just I was thinking about a dad memory this week, is I grew up in Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts, and um, if you've been to Los Mochis, anybody been to Los Mochis camp, it's up near... Patterson Pass in the Livermore area. Nobody? Nobody's been to Mojo? Anyway, thank you, Don. Okay. Anyway, so it's a great little camp up there. We'd go there all the time. And uh, one year we had, I was probably nine years old or so, they had a father-son camp out. And we went on a snipe hunt. Okay? I don't know if you've ever been on a snipe hunt or if you've ever heard of a snipe. <clears throat> but snipes are like this kind of lizard thing, you know, and they kind of run on their hind legs like this. They got these little wing things or like kind of a, a, a mane, as it were. And my brothers always tell me they made a noise of kind of like, like that. And I never really heard him make that noise in the wild, but, you know, he's my older brother, so I was going to listen to him. But what we would do is you'd go out on a snipe hunt, and, and you'd get a paper bag, kind of a larger paper bag, and you get a flashlight, and you shine it at the back, on the ground, on the back of the, 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 the bag, and it shine through the bag. And so these snipes will come running to the light, and then the idea is you're going to run into the bag, and you're going to cinch it up, right? And then you can catch yourself a snipe. It's pretty cool stuff. And then, um, and, and actually, because they're attracted to the light, a lot of times if there's a full moon, you can see them like leaping and, and, and jumping up toward the moon, you know? And, um, and if you catch one out of the air, it's really amazing stuff. So uh, anyway, so we were going to go on the snipe hunt, all the dads with the kids and stuff. And uh, I, don't, I don't know what we'd actually do if we caught a snipe. I've never actually caught one. But uh, I don't suspect they're really good for eating or anything. like. I don't know why you guys are laughing. What's the deal? <laughs> Anyway, uh, but anyway, so, but I'm a believer, you know, I, I, I haven't actually seen one, but I'm like, I've heard them, you know, we were out in the woods and stuff, and I heard the rustling in the leaves and stuff like that. Somebody said it was my dad throwing rocks at me. I don't, he wouldn't have done that. I don't think he would have done that. Uh, but at the end of the hunt, so we went on this hunt, all the boys were up the hill and stuff, and so we're coming down the hill, and all the dads dark, you know, and all the dads apparently were hiding behind trees, and so as the boys are walking, they all jumped out at the same time, ah, and scared the crud out of us, and you know, they, but they assured us that's not really part of the snipe hunt. And uh, anyway, so if you, everybody ever wants to go on a snipe hunt, you just Call me up. I'd love to go on a snipe hunt. In fact, I was even thinking, you guys, that we could do one on the, on the men's retreat next year. I would let, if anybody, if there's any guys here who've never been on a snipe hunt, we'll take you on, a, on one next. All right? I don't know why you guys are laughing. Um, uh, <laughs> anyway, 
There's certain things that are passed down, you know, little traditions and stuff that are passed down, uh, memories and things like that. And uh, through the story that we're going to look at today, you can see the power of a father, the power of the importance of parents in the lives of their kids. So let's go ahead and go to Genesis chapter 27. Okay, so Genesis, first book of the Bible, chapter 27, the big number 27, right? And we're going to just start in verse 1. Let me read it. It's on the screen as well. And um, we're going to look at Isaac. Now, let me just give a little bit of background here. Um, I, I go over with the kids. I, I try to get them to get in their minds the, the, what we call the patriarchs. So it's Abraham, his son Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. So you want to do it with me? You got to do the hand motions too. So, all right, you know we're in the hand motions. So ready? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Good. So that's the line of God's promises. We're going to see it right here, okay? Here we go, verse 1. When Isaac, now that's Abraham's son, Isaac, right? Father Abraham. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. Now, Isaac had two sons. They were twins, twin boys, Jacob and Esau. Esau was the older one. He was born first, right? So he says, here I am. And Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and bow, and go to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give my blessing before I die. All right, so again, we're looking at this first family. So remember, God had called Abraham out, his family had come out of Babylon, which is kind of a, a symbol in the Bible of worldliness. So he's calling Abraham's family out of, um, out of the world, in a sense, bringing them to this promised land. He chose them. So that's why the Jews become, that's why we call him Father Abraham. He's the father of the Jews, father of these chosen people. And the point was is that God was going to use this family to display his glory to all the nations. He's going to redeem and bring back the whole world through this family. He wants them to, he loves everybody, but he wants to display his love particularly through this family. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. So um, if you rewind 15 chapters back to chapter 12 in Genesis, we'll read this. This is the promise that God is giving to, at the time, Abraham. They called him Abram at the time. His name got changed to Abraham. But this is what it says. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. That'll be the promised land, present day Israel. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So that's the promise that, that's going to be passed down to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. But God, see, he has his own plans because Abraham has an older son called Ishmael, but they had ran ahead of God. God had promised him he's going to have a son. It was taking too long, right? So he's going to, so Abraham went and slept with his wife's servant so that she could have a baby in her name. Ishmael. But then the, 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 the promise was who might have normally gone to the older son goes to the younger boy, Isaac, when Sarah eventually had a child. And then Isaac marries a woman named Rebecca. She has these twin boys in her womb, and they're fighting from conception, right? In fact, there was a promise given to Rebecca about Jacob and Esau, and it says, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and get this, and the older will serve the younger. From, from, from right away, God is changing things up a little bit. It's going to have the younger, Jacob, serve, be served by the older, Esau, which is a flip. That's not normally how it would be. And so as the boys are growing, this fierce rivalry. They just were very different men. Um, early on in the story then, what we're going to see is God, I call it the first family, you know, God's kind of first family, the chosen people. There is major dysfunction happening, all right? So let's go ahead and look at, uh, again, back to chapter 27. Look at verse 5 through 17. Now Rebecca, that's Isaac's wife, right? Abraham's daughter-in-law. 
Um, now Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat. You'll see how many times it says tasty food. It's not just food, it's tasty food, all right? I like it. So that I may give you a blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. But Jacob said to his mother, but my brother Esau is a hairy man. Well, I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? It would appear that I'd be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. And his mother said, let my son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes from Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on Jacob, her son, younger son Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. Then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she had made. So she's tricking her husband because he's going blind. And pretending Jacob to be the older son, Esau, so that he can get the blessing. Now, again, you're going to see through this whole thing, this first family is a mess. And I love this because, to me, this is more substantiation that the Bible's true. Because you know what? If you were writing a story and you wanted to present your heroes in the best light so that you would follow them, you certainly wouldn't write this kind of stuff. Because the Bible is very honest about its heroes. It does not sanitize all their warts and foibles. It is very true. And so God is not condoning, condemning necessarily in what he's saying in the scripture right here. It, what's happening is he's kind of just describing what's going on. All right. And there's a reason for that. One thing I want you to notice though is this, is that everyone's family line is crooked. And we know that, right? Okay. So I'm, I'm the fill-in that you have there Hold on to that. That's coming at the end. I'm end of the point, okay? But so just hold on to that. I'm going to do the other stuff first. But here's what I want to do is I want to just kind of trace through a little bit of what are the, these first family mistakes? I mean, what's going on in this family that are so bad? Well, the number one would be lying, okay? That's your first fill-in, sub-fill-in there. Is there are serious pathological lying patterns within this family. Abraham had lied about Sarah, twice about Sarah being his wife. He said he was, she was his sister to kind of protect him. And one time, you know, especially with, with Pharaoh, when he goes to Egypt, he kind of essentially, I hate to say it, kind of pimped her out to Pharaoh so that he could gain an advantage with his wife. Um, he, he has a son, Ishmael, through Hagar, and he basically abandons that boy. Um, Sarah lies about laughing when the angels come and makes a promise, and she laughs, and the angel says, why did you laugh? She says, I didn't laugh. You know, it's like clearly lying to the angels. Not a good idea. Um, Isaac lies about Rebecca doing the same thing. He lies saying Rebecca is his sister when it was his wife, and, and so he got that from Pops. You know, so there's all kinds of weird stuff going on. There's just like this, these patterns of lying, okay? Number two is favoritism. So Isaac obviously favors Esau, the older son, because he's kind of an outdoorsman, real rugged, burly, uh, likes to go hunting. That's what Isaac was into. And then Rebecca, mom, she favors Jacob because he's kind of a soft boy, says he likes to stay near the tents, kind of mama's boy. And so she liked him. So there's clearly some favoritism going on here. And, and all this favoritism plays out later generations because Jacob... If you know the story, you can go back in Genesis. Fascinating stuff. If you go back in Genesis, uh, Jacob favors Joseph, his son. He's got 12 sons, but one of the younger ones, Joseph, he favors. He gives him the coat of many colors. You know the story, right? Maybe some of you. And, and so that means he doesn't have to work in the fields and he doesn't have to do all this stuff. So he gets favored status and the other boys hate him for it and they are trying to kill him. 
and decided, okay, well, let's not kill them. Let's just sell them into slavery, <laughs> okay? So then, and then let's tell dad that animal, wild animals kill them. So it's just this major weird stuff, and you can see where the, where the, um, the, the patterns of lying and favoritism really play out in this family. And the third one is scheming. Okay, so Rachel's eavesdropping on Isaac, he, uh, speaking to Esau. She's deviously calculating what's going on, how Jacob can get the preferred spot. Shows this incredible lack of faith in God, you know, because God has made these promises, and yet she's trying to make it happen. In the same way that Abraham, God had promised, you're going to have a son through Sarah. And he's like, eh, it's taking too long. Let me just have one through the slave girl, Hagar. So the scheming is kind of working around God's way, all right? Jacob schemes his brother out of his birthright. Jacob, the name Jacob means trickster, you know? <laughs> I mean, you know, there's just all kinds of scheming that's going on. Scheming is basically trying to make happen in our own power and what we should be relying on God for. Anybody ever do that? <laughs> Only every day. Um, we all do that every day. We try to make happen in our own power what we should be waiting on God for. The fourth one is rebellion. Disobeying God, disobeying parents. Esau had this very dismissive attitude about the birthright. That's why when he sold it to Jacob, it was for a bowl of soup, like bean stew. Are you kidding? You know, his, his birthright as the oldest child, it's not, and it's bigger than just the, the bigger inheritance. This is about God's promises. They would have been told from an early age what God had promised Abraham and, and how beautiful it is that God is going to redeem the whole world through their family. And Esau takes a part of that and he sells it because he's hungry and he wants a bowl of soup. So there's just this rebellious attitude. He goes out and marries what, these Hittite women that... So basically the daughter-in-laws of, of Isaac and Rebekah are these awful women that it says they cause them great, great harm, great concern. So I'm just telling you, you know, there's all kinds of stuff going on. And, and no doubt, you know, some of you have had kids that have just been kind of indifferent um, to your love for the Lord. And, and that hurts. And that's very painful. Or maybe you have been kind of indifferent and shrugged off the kind of love for Jesus that your parents tried to instill in you. You know, we've all had times of, of rebellion, and sometimes we've got long seasons of rebellion. Um, that's why around here we constantly talk about forgiveness. That's why we're constantly putting on our T-shirts, no perfect people allowed. Because that's why. We have these periods and these seasons of rebellion constantly in our life, and that's why Jesus dying on the cross for our sins to remove that punishment is so vital. It's core to everything that we do. And so... As you think about all the sins of the first family here, there's really no way to calculate the damage that was done, just as there would be no way to calculate everything, all the damage that was done to people in this room itself. Abuse, abandonment, adultery, alcoholism, divorce and disobedience, manipulation and mistreatment. You know, many of you, I know, have been victims of that stuff. And we can be thankful for God's mercy for those ways that he's healed us in those broken places. You know, and some of us have been perpetrators of that stuff. And this is where we can be thankful for God's forgiveness in those moments. But if we're talking about a family blessing today, then undoubtedly I know many of you feel like you maybe missed out on a family blessing. You didn't get anything close to what, you know, Isaac was going to give Jacob here. And so it's hard not to be resentful. But here's my point with sharing all of these first family failures, okay? Uh, this is what I want you to get. If, if with all these families, failures that Abraham's family is dealing with. Listen, if God would choose, and he didn't just 
randomly. He chose Abraham and his family. If God would choose a messed up family like that to display his glory to the nations, if God would shower love and blessing on a family that you wouldn't even want to live next door to, if God would, in his plan, bless the whole world through such a jacked up family to show his own power, what do you think he might be able to do through your family? I mean, could God use failure and disobedience and redeem it for good? Could we, you gather up enough trust? Can we believe that he's going to do something great with the shattered pieces of our own dysfunction? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can. He can. He will. He does. That's what he does. You see, I love this principle. You know, God is a creator. We know that, right? God created the world through the breath of his mouth, the words of his mouth. And so he loves to create, so artistic, so imaginative. But what I see in Scripture is more often is the Bible speaks of recreating. If you notice how many times that re prefix, R-E, is used in the Scripture, so many biblical words have the word re in front. Renew, redeem, restore, reconcile, refine, reveal, regenerate, regain, repent, reward, refresh, remember, revive, return. And I know I missed some. And you know, at the end of the age, in Revelation 21, it talks about some of the final words Jesus says. He says, behold, I am making all things new. New heavens, new earth. And it's a restoration, a restoration of uh, paradise. It's a return to Eden. That's the idea. He doesn't say, I'm making new things. He says, I'm making all things new. He's in the business of redoing things. See, God loves to take broken things, things that were originally good, and restoring, reviving, redeeming them. Now, he does it with our individual lives, right? Are you happy about that? Somebody, anybody out there alive? Anybody? Hello? Okay, okay, he does, right? And so he regenerates us when we repent. And see, many of you, you are not the same person you were right? And, and, and you're still broken and imperfect. Sure, we all are. But you're becoming a new creation in Christ. You are being recreated, regenerated to, a, to what God had originally planned us to be. It's a beautiful concept. And so my big point now, if you go back up to number one, the big point here is this. Because you know I said everybody's family line is crooked. And this is what I want to say is that God can draw straight lines with crooked people. God can draw straight lines with crooked people. You see, God can recreate, restore, repair, redeem, regenerate, reconcile broken parts of your family. Now, God will draw straight lines with crooked families. It's exactly what he did with Abraham and his crew. You see, all of this is to show God's glory. All of this is to show how good he is. Because listen, if God took good people, like, you know, kind of 90th percentile people, and he did great things with the cream of the crop, then it doesn't really show his capacity for, for power and glory and greatness. But if God takes the bottom and he does great things in the lives of broken, lying, rebellious, dishonest, scheming people, and he does great things with them, all it does is show his glory. And those people, if, if you're like us down here on the bottom <laughs> and God's doing great things with less than mediocre people, you can admit and say, that's not me. That's all the Lord, right? 
That's the idea. That's why we say no perfect people, because if you're humble enough to say you're not perfect and that you're, you're not up here, you're down here, then it just makes you cry out for a Savior and say, Lord, I need you. And then he makes up the increase, does great things with less than mediocre people, and he gets the glory. That's why Paul, when you look in the New Testament and in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, He's got this weakness, okay? This thorn in the, in the flesh, he calls it. And this is from the message translation. This is what he says. At first, I didn't think of it as a gift, and, and I begged God to remove it. Three times I did that, and then he told me, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. And once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness, and now I take limitations in stride and with good cheer. These limitations that come down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks. I just let Christ take over and so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. It's, it's a beautiful principle. And so what if today you stop seeing the crooked parts of your family like a victim and you started seeing them in a way that shows God as the victor, Right? That he has power over, the, over your weaknesses. I, I'm not saying stuff it. I'm not saying, you know, just push it away. I, I think get therapy and help and everything you need, godly counsel and all that. But what I'm saying is try to confront it with all the promises that God makes available to us to overcome it. See, this is a way for God to revive his original attention, to recreate good from bad, and to renew you back to his original purposes for you and to use you to do it. God can draw straight lines with crooked people. Let's go back to our story. Verse 18. He went into his father. This is Jacob. My father, yes, my son, who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am, I am Esau, your firstborn. As I, I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my games so that I may give you, you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord, gave me, the Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, and know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, this is the voice of Jacob, but it's the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau, he asked? I am. Then he said, my son, bring me some game to eat so I may give you my blessing. Then Jacob brought it to him and he ate and, and brought some wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went and kissed him, and when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, oh, the smell is like the smell of the field, and the Lord is blessed. This is the blessing he's giving. May God give you the heavens due and earth's riches, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. It's a really powerful message, right? Father to son, on his deathbed. And see, we all need this kind of blessing from our parents. And so I'm just going to give you the second point here is this, is that parents must initiate the giving of the blessing. You can see here that Isaac pulls who he thinks is Esau, but it's Jacob. He pulls him in and says, I want to give you this blessing. He initiates the whole thing. And so blessing becomes this really important way to pass down godliness generation to generation. And there's an old book called The, the Blessing by John Trent and Gary Smalley. And so they, he, they give us five principles here to, to what the blessing kind of looks like. I'm just going to run through these really quick. These are your fill-ins. But the first is meaningful touch. So you can see, he says, come near and kiss me, my son. He hugs him, right? And so it just shows the importance of dads wrestling and tickling fighting, tickle fighting and stuff with all your kids and just getting that meaningful touch. Number two is spoken message. You know, they say that it takes seven positive comments to counter one negative. 
And you guys know from your own childhood how much kids need to hear that they're valued, that, that it's much more than, you know, that they're loved so much more than just failing their, their parents' expectations. But we see so many people, I think, that are so willing to go online and bear their soul to somebody that gives them a little bit of acceptance. It's just, it's just an indication of maybe what they didn't get as a spoken message from parents. I remember when, uh, when Joel was born, uh, um, he was born about noon, it was about 9 p.m., so hours later, and uh, he was ready for a feeding. And, and I was in the room alone with him. I don't understand all the circumstances with it, but uh, I, so I'm holding him in the room, and it feels like a package of dynamite. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, first kid, all that. And so I'm holding him, and the nurse comes in, and she gives me a bottle to feed him. It's just a little bottle, you know, a couple ounces, and she leaves the room. She shows me kind of how to do it and stuff. And so I'm like, okay, you know, what am I doing here? And so uh, we had a little talk, me and Joel. And, um, you know, I was telling him, I go, you know, listen, you're going to be my best buddy and I'm going to be yours and I'm going to love you no matter what, even when you do stupid things and you're going to do stupid things. And, um, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you really mad at times and you're not going to want to be around me. That's okay because I'm not going anywhere. And, uh, but we're going to laugh a lot and I'm going to teach you a lot. And uh, I'm going to tell you that I'm proud of you and I'm going to try to be everything that you need in a dad. And we talked like that for a while and then um, he agreed and he smiled up at me and said, yes, Father, that sounds splendid. Um, so, uh, no, he just, you know, whatever. The nurse came back a couple minutes later, and she's like, you gave him the whole bottle? I was like, yeah, <laughs> I suppose, you know. It's like, you can't believe he ate the whole thing. It's like my kid can eat from day one, right? And then uh, I was like, all right, you know, I got a big boy here. So anyway, so, you know, show me how to burp him and all that stuff. And we had another half hour or so to hang out. We talked some more. But, and I've told him, you know, since then, we talked, we laughed about that. I've told him our little conversation. And he doesn't remember it for some reason. I don't know, whatever. Um, but, but he gets a little smile, you know. He gets a little embarrassed, but he knows, right? He knows. And um, your kids, need, they know that you love them, that you're proud of them, that you accept them and stuff. But listen, you got to say it. You got to say it. And if you think you're saying it enough, say it five more times. Number three, recognize uniqueness and attaching value to their potential. This is where I think our society is pretty weird. Um, it seems like all the insecurities that we carry as parents, that we push it on our kids. Right? This is why I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm totally in this boat. I know I am. So, you know, if there's areas where we feel less than and we're insecure, then we're going to make sure our kids feel more than in that area. And you know what that does for us? It makes us feel better as parents. So all of our insecurities, we feel better because our, our kids have somehow conquered this insecurity that we deal with, right? So what happens is we push our kids toward doing what we prescribe. And we see it everywhere in, in, in the culture and stuff like that. Of course, everybody else does it. We don't do it, right? You know, it's really easy to see in everybody else, hard to see in ourselves. But the whole snowplow parents, the whole tiger mom thing, the coach dad thing. And, and what happens is, is we, we have these, these expectations of things and we kind of make a little idol out of it. And we kind of worship it. So we set it up as something that our kids need to worship as well. And so we push our kids toward doing these things. And if they don't happen to do what we've made up in our own mind is important, then all of a sudden we start getting disappointed on, it, on them. Because they've missed our mark, right? And so we have these little idols. We force our kids. We want our kids to bow down to them. And really, it's just kind of our own scheme and rebellion. Because it's our own way to manipulate what we think we want, not always necessarily what God wants. And it could be a good thing. But if it's not a God thing, then we're too easily upset when they don't comply. And it's probably not even a sin issue on the part of your kids. It may just be that your kids are different than you. Imagine that. Your kids are not a clone of you. <laughs> Imagine that. I don't know who would want that anyway. 
But I have a quote in my office, Dan Allender. He says, one of the biggest sources of conflict between you and your kids will be when they refuse to bow down to your idols, your expectations, the thing that you want. And so what I'm saying is, listen, this is very difficult as parents because you want to instill values on God things, character issues, recognizing their uniqueness and potential that God has made them without allowing good things of your own making to be some measure that then you get disappointed by. Number four, picture a spe- picturing a special future. Um, There's a young mother, she was pushing a stroller with her two twins, and the neighbor stopped by, oh, beautiful children, what are their names? She says, well, this is Benjamin the surgeon, and this is Robert the lawyer, <laughs> you know, whatever. And, uh, but, you know, I'm asking, what kind of special future are you picturing for your kids? Now, how do you pray for your kids? I mean, are you, are you praying that they get good grades, that uh, they win their game, that they're safe, whatever that looks like? Or are you praying for your child to be blessed, to love and to serve the Lord with a full heart? Are you praying for their future spouse and future children? Are you speaking into their future, not just academic and athletic and musical um, material success, but really speaking character into their lives? Uh, Joel just graduated, so, but from day one at kindergarten, I was dropping him off, and I remember thinking... Um, I got to come up with a phrase. Like, I want to have something that just rings in his head when he's 80 years old. Say, my dad always said, you know, I just want that. I was like, uh. So I came up with work hard, honor God. So I just say it, and I've said it to him just about every day when he leaves for school. Work hard, honor God. Because I want him to work hard, but I want him to honor God as he does it, right? And so that's the big thing. So that's kind of our thing. Um, and so I just I'm drilling it in, right? And I even got, a, um, well, I'll talk about that in a second. But uh, number five is an active commitment. Our society uh, really has no rite of passage. You know that, right? I mean, what? Getting your license, graduating high school? That's stupid. That's what a dumb rite of passage that is. That means nothing uh, to me. You know, everybody does that. I'm talking about like something where, where you're moving out of childhood into adulthood. You know, we, we see adolescents prolonging late into the 20s with some people. And it's like, we got to challenge our kids to move out of adolescence into responsibility in adulthood. And so that's been big for me. I've, I've read a lot of books on it. I've always had this passion. I wanted to do something special for Joel when he got a little bit older, um, some kind of challenge, things like that. So we were trying to go, I wanted something physical, but we couldn't get a permit to Half Dome. So I did but God worked it out. And so uh, a year or two ago, a uh, year and a half, ago, we, we did a, a weekend at, at a cabin in Tahoe, and I brought all the guys, all the guys I could that, that could come and, and give a blessing to him. So his grandpa, my dad, uh, my brother, and then, his, um, and then my other brother-in-law, so two uncles, uh, his church grandpa, he's got a grandpa here, you know, and then two church uncles, <laughs> right? Church uncle. And then, um, but good food, and we ate, and we laughed, and we hiked, and we did all the beautiful uh, scenery, all that kind of stuff. But because here's the thing. I've known for a long time, I've read about it, and just I'm passionate about masculinity grants masculinity. And femininity grants femininity. we got a world that's so confused about all this kind of stuff. I think it's so important to clearly set this stuff out for our kids. And so on this weekend, we went up there. We had a great time. We spent time with each other. Um, I had each of the guys go on a walk or spend some time with Joel individually, talk about their own life, their own testimony, how they were going to walk, how they walk with the Lord. He had a really special time with his church grandpa uh, during that time. I had them each write a letter to Joel and read it to the group and just speak into his life. And and my brother wrote a really sweet letter. And um, you you know how, you know, people, uh, other people will say things to your kids and it's exactly what you've been saying for years. And they're like, yeah. You know, when somebody else says it, I'm like, I've been telling you that for years, boy. You know, and, but, but here's the thing. So acknowledge that and just say, get people around your kids that are going to say what you want them to say. 
and drill it in them from somewhere else. You don't, you don't have to take credit for being the one saying it. And you tell it to other people's kids, right? And so we did that. All my guys did that. We, we did some gifts for them. I got a, I got a replica sword um, from Bunker Hill. We like history and stuff. So I got like a Bunker Hill, you know, with a, a few rebels fought for freedom against the British, you know. And, and, but we I, I engraved on there, work hard on our God. He's going to put it in his uh, dorm room at, at college, you know, and just as a reminder and stuff like that. And, um, and we gathered around, we put hands on him, we prayed. And I'm telling you, the weekend was fantastic. It was all about him. And we just made sure we had all five elements of the blessing there. And I'm passionate about this stuff. And, and listen, if you want to try to do something like this, you let me know. I don't know what we would do for girls. I have no idea. I don't know girls. So, but we can figure something out, all right? But, but here's the thing. Plan ahead. Think ahead. God is going to help you work out the details, but you've got to be intentional with this stuff. Do not leave this bestowing of masculinity and femininity to culture. You've got to initiate that kind of blessing in the lives of your kids. You've got to show your kids how to walk with Jesus because God has no grandchildren. He only has children, and they need to decide for themselves. And if your kids are older, it's not too late to do something. Go to the beach, go to the mountains, go anywhere. I don't care. Spend quality time with your kids, and don't just shrug it off. Because here's the thing. It's never too late to bless your kids either. Isaac did it on his deathbed. Jacob was old, and he did it. And listen, I'd say this. If you need to repent and ask for forgiveness with your kids, what are you waiting for? If you haven't spoken in a while, you be the adult and initiate the next move. And if you're proud of them, why would you not lavish that on them now? And if you feel like you can't give what you didn't receive from your own folks, then write out what you wish you got and give it to your kids. You see, friends, we got to live more in, in light of eternity. we gotta, we got to live with the understanding that our lives are short and we can't hold back and carry to our deathbed all these regrets and things that we wish we said. Say it now. And so, parents, you initiate the blessing. But, but what happens if you never got the blessing? You see, there's a, the rest of that passage, verse um, 30 through the end of the chapter, I'll let you guys read it later. But basically, Esau misses the blessing. And he cries out to his father Isaac, Isaac, Dad, won't you give me the blessing? And his dad gives him anything but a blessing and reminds him that he's going to be serving his younger brother. So Esau rightfully gets mad. He vows he's going to kill his brother Jacob. So Jacob flees for at least 14 years. He's gone. His mom sends him away. Eventually, in the story, he comes back. There's a little reconciliation. But I just want you to see how in, this, in the first family, how lying and favoritism and scheming and rebellion just ripped this family apart. And I've shared before just how my folks split when I was 16. Um, spent about seven years angry at my dad and blaming him and feeling anything but blessed. And maybe some of you know how the kind of anger and resentment that builds up in a young man when that stuff happens. And, uh, but by God's grace, we reconciled um, at the lake on my bachelor party. <laughs> it was a rager. Uh, but we went, we went water skiing, and uh, on the ride up, we reconciled. And later that day, my dad had received Christ as a Savior. And um, he was here in the first service. And um, it was 25 years ago, um, a month from today, July 16th, 25 years ago, and uh, I'm just telling you, God's blessed me. He's reconciling me and helping me to be blessed by my earthly father and be a blessing. And I was just looking back through some old sermons. And 20 years ago this Thursday at my old church in Livermore, I preached a Father's Day message. And, but I was looking back, I was like, huh, that was before my kid was born. That was before spending 17 years on property here in Tracy with my dad and catching up on all those years that I missed before. 
and being restored in that. Let me just testify. God's been good to me. I just want to say it out. I got to say it. He's restored and revived and redeemed and recreated and renewed and returned. And, and I feel like I got this family tree blessing. And let me just say this. Maybe blessing wasn't passed down to you, down the family tree to you. I get it. I suspect there's a ton of people here that never got that family blessing. So you've lived in that void and you've got these patterns and you're not sure where they come from. And you're like, well, that's just the way I am. Well, maybe, but that's not the way you're supposed to be. God wants to renew that and recreate that. You see, my, my mom was really good at giving a blessing. She's sitting over here, my mom. Uh, and uh, she was always good at, at giving the blessing. But it's tough with dads, especially older generations. You know, your, your dad, it was tougher on the older generations to give blessing. And um, I'll just say this. This is my last point. If God has restored you, if he's changed your identity, if he's made you a new person in him, if God has become your father and you are his child, and if you can see God not as a reflection of your earthly father, but as the perfection of your earthly father, can I challenge you to pass the blessing up the family tree? You may have not gotten it coming down, but you can always send it up. You see, if God has healed you from never getting a blessing from your parents, but your identity in Christ is secure and you've been made new and you're a victor in him and not a victim, then go give the blessing up, right? Redeem the past, restore the relationship, recover the lost years, repent of your part of it. And that's the last feeling. If the blessing didn't pass down the family tree, you send it up, all right? So anyway, I just call out my mom. Thanks, mom. <laughs> and I'm not trying to make it sound like I got all this figured out. It's obviously, I don't. <laughs> I made way more mistakes in this whole dad thing that I care to mention. But, um, but ask the Holy Spirit to work in you, to create special moments for your kids, and ask him to mend your relationship with your parents. And I really believe he's going to honor it. Okay? All right, let's pray.